The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Hey, this past summer, I got an opportunity to read a little book that I've always wanted to read. It's an old Christian classic. It's 350 years old, and it's called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. How's that for a title? The Life of God in the Soul of Man. It's written by Henry Skugel, who was a 17th century Scottish theologian and, and pastor. He was brilliant, and then he died at the age of 28 of tuberculosis. But before he died, he wrote this short little book, which is actually a long little letter. He wrote it to a friend because he wanted his friend to know and understand what true Christianity is really all about. I'm going to quote Skugel here at length. Listen to this. He says, this is the beginning of his, of his little letter that he, that he writes. It's not little, it's a, it's a big letter. Uh, I cannot speak about religion without lamenting that among so many who claim to be religious, so few understand what it means. He could have wrote this yesterday. Some consider it to be primarily a matter of intellect and understanding and orthodox opinions. The only account that they can give of their religion is that they are of this or that theological persuasion, or that they have joined one of the many groups or sects into which Christendom is so unhappily divided. Others consider it to be a matter of our behavior. They are to be found caught up in a constant round of duties and observances. If they live peaceably with their neighbors, are temperate in their habits, and are regularly at worship, both publicly and in their homes, and sometimes extend themselves to giving to those in need, then they think that they have performed sufficiently. Still others focus on their emotions. They concentrate on spiritual ecstasy in their devotions. All they aim for is to pray with passion, to think of heaven with pleasure and to be so overwhelmed with a sense of loving God that they persuade themselves that they do love him. As a result, they are filled with such a great confidence in their own salvation that they consider such confidence in itself to be the most important of Christian virtues. Thus, those things that have any semblance of true holiness or at best the ways in which holiness may be pursued are frequently mistaken for the real thing. True religion, he says, is quite another thing. Those who are acquainted with it will entertain far different thoughts about it and avoid all false imitations of it. They know by experience that true relation is a union of the soul with God. It is a participation in the divine nature. It is the very image of God drawn upon the soul, or in the apostles' words, it is Christ formed within us. Listen, listen to what Google is saying. 350 years ago, right? He, he's saying real Christianity all right, isn't merely about knowing the right stuff. It isn't merely about getting your, your theology straight. Finding a church that you fully agree with or something like that. It's also not merely about behavior or ethics. Though there certainly are Christian ethics and they matter. Further, it's it's not about an emotional high. It's not about spiritual warm and fuzzies that we get at a, at a worship service or, or this overwhelming feeling that we get in our personal devotions. True Christianity 
Real Christianity, to use the title of his book, is about the very life of God in your soul. In the soul of man. Divine life in us. And this is what Paul's getting at in this part of Romans chapter 8. This is what he's drawing out for us here. The divine life in us. And that divine life in us, the life of God in our very souls, it has some implications for us. This week, looking at Romans 8 verses 9 through 11, Paul is going to tell us how to face death. He's going to tell us how to face death in light of the divine life that's in us. Next week, in verses 12 through 15, he's going to tell us how to face life. And so, how to die as a Christian this week, how to live as a Christian next week. Feels backwards, but it's good. So, it's the Bible. We'll we'll go with it. Now, listen, don't you just love the Bible? Um, It is so comprehensive. And Paul's point here is is not just that the Bible is comprehensive. He's telling us the gospel is comprehensive. He's telling us just how comprehensive God's work in and through Jesus really is. He's telling us God's thought of everything. He's like literally idiot-proofed our salvation. (laughs) We can't screw it up. And what Paul is up to here in Romans 8 in articulating all this glorious truth to us is he is encouraging us right into heaven. (laughs) Remember the bookends of Romans 8. No condemnation. Romans chapter 1, or or Romans 8 verse 1. And then the other bookend in verse 39. No separation. Not even in death. And so the first thing that we're going to see in our passage comes from verse 9 here, and it's this. If you're a Christian, if you're really a Christian, a a real Christian, God lives in you. Look at verse 9 in the the Bible here, Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I'm actually going to read that again for us. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, I have found it super duper helpful, actually, to work backwards through this verse. It's actually helpful to see what he's saying if we work backwards. If we work backwards, look at the end. He's talking about belonging to Christ. If you belong to Jesus, right? Paul is telling us, if you belong to Jesus, and this is what so much of Romans has been about, is it not? How do we belong to Jesus? We are justified by grace through faith. That's how. It's not our work that gets us into belonging. It's Christ's work that gets us into belonging. We couldn't, we wouldn't, and therefore we shouldn't ever try to do it on our own. It comes by faith. Faith in Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, Paul is saying, and the the ifs here in our passage, 
Let me just remind you who Paul's writing to. He's writing to believers in Rome. You remember back in chapter 1, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints? That's what he said in chapter 1. The point of the ifs in this passage are not intended to set you on an endless quest of uncertain, hyper-introspective, torturous self-analysis. Maybe you could conclude that if verses 9 through 11 were all that you had. Right? If you just you know, took your scissors and, and cut this little paragraph off and carried it around, and that's all you had from the book of Romans. Maybe you could conclude that. But we're not going to conclude that. We've got the rest of chapter 8. We've been focusing on the rest of chapter 8 where Paul has been encouraging us, reminding us of the certainty of our salvation. He said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you've been set free from the law of sin and death. It's over. It's done with. Like That's all taken care of, right? You're in Christ, he's told us. The ifs in our paragraph, therefore, are intended to lead us to the conclusion of what is really true of us. This is him really saying, if this is true, and I'm telling you that it is, that's how we should read him. If you belong to Jesus, you have the Spirit of Christ. You have it. You have him. You do. Yeah, you. You have him. Conversely, If you do not belong to Jesus, you do not have the Spirit of Christ. And again, that's not Paul's point. He's writing to encourage believers here in Romans 8, but that would also that's also true, right? If you're here today and you don't belong to Jesus, nothing that I'm gonna say to you today is is yours. But it can be. How? By placing your faith in Jesus. And only by placing your faith in Jesus. By receiving Christ. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You, just like the rest of us, will never deserve it. But rather, it's received as a gift from our generous and good Father in heaven. So if you belong to Jesus, you have the Spirit of Christ. Keep working backwards. Next, it tells us that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And notice here that the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God and simply the Spirit, all three are used interchangeably in this verse. In verse 10, Paul's going to change his language again and refer simply to Christ in you. This this passage contains some of the really important raw materials for our doctrine of the Trinity. And we shouldn't confuse the persons of the Trinity, but what Paul is doing here, I believe, is emphasizing that although each person of the Trinity is eternally distinct in their personal modes of being, they also share the same divine essence and will. They're distinct, but inseparable. Wherever each is, there the others are also. And so Paul says that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, He dwells in you. Or as some translations render it, the Spirit of God lives in you. He, he, see, He dwells, and His dwelling isn't a dead or static dwelling. He's alive and active. 
He's alive and well inside you. Again, if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God dwells in you. He's taken up residence. And and he isn't squatting. He's not couch surfing. He's he's, He's not going month to month with you. Like a lease deal, you know? You've been purchased. He's moved in. He's made his home in you. And and in that sense, it's his forever home. He's, He's never putting the for sale sign up. Consequently, moving backwards again through verse nine, you are in the spirit. Look at that. The spirit is in you, Paul says, and you are in the spirit. Paul is saying what Skugel said. There's a deep union that's going on here. You're in the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. Deep union. And if we take the last step backwards, we also learn you're not in the flesh. Remember last week? Remember Paul reducing all of humanity down into two types of people? Those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And now verse 9, You, however, you, my friend, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and I am telling you, He does. That's the sense. He lives in everyone who is a Christian. He lives in everyone who belongs to Christ. To to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit, and to not have the Holy Spirit is to not be a Christian. Christians without the Holy Spirit don't exist. If you're a Christian, you are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you, lives in you. God lives in you. Like the life of God and the soul of man. You are Henry Schuylkill's book. Do you know this to be true of you? Do you, do you reflect upon it? Does it cause... Does it cause you to worship? Does it, does it change anything in your life? I mean, this is unedited, non-denominational, biblical truth right here. It's not just safe for the charismatics. The Holy Spirit is in you. And it's true of you if you belong to Jesus. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but Paul has made a change here in verse 9. He's, he's kind of gone from... From mostly teaching in verses 1 through 8 to preaching in verses 9 through 11. He, he's changed his pronouns. Did you notice that? It, to, to you. Six times in these three verses, Paul refers directly to you. He's talking to you, Christian. He's telling you, preaching to you, encouraging you that God lives in you. I know it doesn't always feel like it. In fact, you might be thinking, I've never felt that. 
Listen, Paul isn't saying that this is what you should feel. He's saying this is what is true. If you're a Christian, God lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer in this room, from youngest to oldest, shortest to tallest, newest to longest, most spiritually immature to most spiritually mature, most insecure to most secure, most doubtful to most assured. He's in you. You. That's the first thing that we see here in our passage today. The second thing that we see here in our passage is you're going to die. Every single one of us. Christian or not, if Christ should tarry, let's just say for 100 years, better make it 110. I don't know, we got some little ones in the room. Like, better make it 110. I don't know what the medical world is going to be doing a century from now, right? Better make it 110. We'll see. But if Jesus should tarry and not return for 110 years, every one of us will be dead by then. No exceptions. You're not going to beat this. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so even with Christ in you, even with God living in you, Paul says the body is dead because of sin. The body is decaying because of sin. It is dying because of sin and will one day be dead because of sin. That's what sin does. It brings death. Paul told us back in chapter 5, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Remember that? Death came into the world through sin because of sin. When Adam sinned in the garden, he experienced immediate spiritual death. And the seed of physical death was also implanted in him. It's because of sin that Adam physically died. If he wouldn't have sinned, he wouldn't have died. Death comes through sin. There was no decay in man and woman's original bodies. They were created very good. But death entered in through sin and sin spread to all because we are all Adam's offspring, which is just another way of saying we are all going to die. And part of my job, like part of our job as your pastors is actually to prepare you for that. Like part of our job is to prepare you for problems that you will have to face, may have to face. And look, we're all going to have to face this one. Every single one of us. This summer, right at the beginning of my sabbatical, like first week, I went to a doctor. I don't usually go to the doctor. I don't really like to go to the doctor. Um, I don't have anything against doctors. I just hate like the physical calendar reality of having to go to the doctor. Anybody else? Thank you. At least, at least a few. Right. Great. Um, I went to the doctor because I was having some pain in my chest. And um, it was like a discomfort thing. It ran from like here to here. And so I go to the doctor and um, he asks um, loads of questions. 
this has been going on actually since February. That's, you know, that's why I don't like to go to the doctor, obviously, because February to, you know, June is quite a while to have pain in your chest. Um, so I go to the doctor. He asks loads of questions. He takes loads of blood, and he orders an EKG and uh, a chest x-ray. And two days later, I'm driving in my truck. I just left a dentist appointment. Just knocking them all out, right? I'm on sabbatical. Why not? Just get them all out. Get them all done. Get it over with. Be good for another seven years. All right? I'm driving in. I'm dri- probably not anymore. I, I'm, driving in the, I'm driving in my truck, and the phone rings, and I answer it, and it's a doctor. Now, it's usually not good when the doctor himself calls, you know? It's like, oh, no. Um, doctor calls. I pull over in the South Point parking lot over there, and um, he says, hey, we got that chest x-ray back. And uh, there's, a, there's an abnormal enlargement on both sides of your chest. One's actually worse than the other. And, and he says, um, hey, this is serious. But he, he says, you know, there's a chance that it couldn't be, but usually this is kind of a, kind of a big deal. And... So he asked me to get in for a CT scan as soon as I could. I get off the phone and sit there in my truck by myself in an empty South Point parking lot. And, you know, a lot of thoughts go through your head at a time like that. A lot of searches go through your Google at a time like that. A lot of stuff starts flowing around. I remember thinking, oh, shoot. The uh, cigars finally caught up to me. And my family's going to think, I am an idiot. <laughs> Lots of stuff. And good news, CT scan came back the next week. I heard the results. The scan was clear. Turns out they got a bad picture with the x-ray. And I was like, oh, phew. But also, like, can I get my money back on all this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Oopsie. Now well, that'll be a million dollars, whatever it was. Turns out I had stress anxiety. That was the chest pain, okay, uh, which I might have been able to tell you that. Also found out I have high cholesterol, really, really, really high triglycerides also, which um, is, was high enough to cause another moment where a lot of things go through your head and a lot of words through your Google. Um, but some diet changes and exercise have largely taken care of that. But I tell you all that just to remind us, just to, just to remind myself, man, we're all going to die. And we can forget that sometimes. Especially if we get a little insulated from death in our lives for a little while. We can forget that. But we shouldn't. I mean, you stick around here long enough. We're going to bury each other. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a doctor before being called into the ministry and pastoring at Westminster Chapel in London some 60 years ago, said, said it this way. He said, ever since the fall, the moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. Such is the position of man as the result of the fall. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. The moment we are born, we are beginning to die. Your body is dead because of sin. 
It's decaying because of sin. And one day we'll be dead because of sin. I don't know about you, but I hate death. I mean, are we all on the same page here? Can we just agree? Death sucks. Yep, said it. There's so much of it. My wife works for an estate sale company. company. She came home last week and said, hey, one of our regulars, we just found out, died unexpectedly, suddenly. Like last week. We were at our kids' choir concert over here at, at Southeast this last week, talking to one of our neighbors afterwards. She said she had just come from a, a funeral earlier that afternoon. Someone in their church had died suddenly, unexpectedly. I watched that video on the news last week of the Crimea bridge explosion. Did you see that? I couldn't stop watching it. So I'm, I'm watching it, right? And there's one of the cameras is right on the bridge. There's a car coming. Did you see the car is, is coming right towards the camera? You can see its headlights. And then the explosion is right behind the car. And it almost looks like the car speeds up. And I kept watching it over and over to see, did the car make it? And none of the videos I could find were long enough to show me if it did. And certainly there were other cars on that bridge that did not. Heart attacks, cancer, stroke, miscarriage, car accidents, school shooting in Thailand. I read an article a couple weeks ago about an Indonesian soccer match. Did you hear this? There's a riot that broke up, uh, broke out after the game. 129 people were left dead, most because they were trampled to death. 129 people. I mean, does life ever just feel really, really fragile? And then there's decay, things like dementia, arthritis, MS, Renaud's, Meniere's, thyroid disorders, chronic illness, mental illness, autoimmune issues that attack your joints or your skin or your organs, creating all kinds of issues, brain fog, long COVID, all of it. Even for those who are in Christ, even those in whom God lives, our bodies are decaying and dying and will one day die. The seed of death is in us all. You're going to die. But that's not where Paul leaves us, is it? Look at verse 10 again. And actually catch the way that he words and phrases it. He says, but, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now that sounds pretty good, but it's a little clunky too. So what does it mean? What does Paul mean by saying the spirit is life because of righteousness? Well, start with the righteousness part. Remember, when you become a Christian, when you became a Christian, Jesus' righteousness was counted as yours. It was imputed to you. It's called the gift of righteousness, right? And it's because of Jesus' imputed righteousness that there is therefore now no condemnation for you. 
Not only is there no condemnation for you, there never will be. The wages of sin are death, and Jesus paid for all your sin through his death. There's that song that we sing where we say, he paid our wages. It sounds way better than that when you sing it. But we sing that, right? One time, once and for all. That's what Jesus did. He's taken care of it. He's counted you righteous. That happened at conversion. So because of righteousness can serve as a shorthand for you becoming a Christian. And so because of righteousness, there's no condemnation for you. Because of righteousness, you've been restored in your relationship with God, reconciled to him. Because of righteousness, you've been made alive. Because of righteousness, the Holy Spirit has been sent to dwell in you, live in you. Because of righteousness, the life of God is in you. God lives in you. And although you will die, your body will die because the body has not yet been fully redeemed. Although you will die, the spirit is life. Paul says it this way in Romans 6.23. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying here in Romans 8.10, you have that now. You're not waiting around for it. It's yours already. The very presence of the Holy Spirit, and remember, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. The very presence of the Spirit demonstrates that we will not be saddled with our weak and corruptible bodies forever. Instead, third point now, you're going to live forever with God. With a new body. Look how Paul says it in verse 11. He says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does if you're a Christian... The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. By mortal bodies here, Paul is talking about your actual body. Your right here, right now body. That thing carrying around your soul. It's going to be new. Renewed. Death does not get the last word on you and your body because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And God will give life, new life, eternal life to your mortal body through His Spirit who does in fact dwell in you. In other words, the fight, the fight will come to an end. The Fragility will be made impenetrable. Your body will one day not just be cancer-free, but perfectly cancer-proof. Not just chronic illness-free, chronic illness-proof. We're going to drive and drive and drive like F1 racers. Never have a car accident. (laughs) No car accidents. 
Our hearts will pump and pump and pump and pump and never stop. We're not going to forget stuff. Our brains will never be foggy or grow dim ever again. Our immune systems, I don't even know if we're going to need them, but if we do, they're going to work perfectly. No bombs. No trampling after soccer matches. No pandemics. We're not going to need x-rays and CT scans. I don't know what doctors are going to be doing, but I'm sure glad that I'm not going to have to see them anymore. (laughs) Our joints are going to feel so good. I mean, we're going to dance and sing and celebrate and never get tired of it. You're not going to be dancing in the streets in the New Jerusalem and then two days later, you know about the two days later thing? After 40, it's, two, it's not the next day, it's two days later. You're not going to be dancing in the streets of Jerusalem and then two days later be like, oh man, my back is killing me today. None of that. We're going to enjoy all of God's good creation without addiction. We're going to live forever and ever and never die of eternal old age. This is all a part of God's comprehensive gospel plan. He's thought of everything. If you belong to Jesus, God lives in you. And yes, you're going to die. But when he returns, in the twinkling of an eye, your body will be not resuscitated, but resurrected. You're not going to be a zombie. You're not going to be alive again in your crappy old body that let you down with to begin with. You're going to be new. A new body, still, still you somehow, but new. You're going to live forever with God. This is our promised future as Christians. This is what is going to happen to us. Nothing is more certain than this. And it is because the Holy Spirit lives in you that you can be certain of this. And I said earlier, stick around long enough and we're going to bury each other. Hey, stick around long enough and we're going to rise together. Every single one of us. How can we not worship this God of ours? I mean, how can we possibly walk around as Christians moping? Our future is more than bright, it's glorious perfection, and it's secure. This is all true. It's all true for you if you belong to Jesus. You have been justified. You have been counted right. It is finished. Because of his work on the cross and over the grave, there is no condemnation for you. There's never going to be. There never can be. He has sent his spirit to live in you. He's in there now, changing you. And his spirit's never going to leave you. 
And now, verse 11 of our text says, it's the very same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. He's made his home in you. He says it twice in case you weren't paying attention. And he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will. Do you see that will? He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who already dwells in you. He will do this. It doesn't say he's going to try. It doesn't say, you know, if things really work out the way I hope they will, I'll raise you up too. No, it says... He will do this. It's not like the Husker football team, you know? Working hard all offseason, really hoping to be good, getting all our hopes up. Romans 8 is not a hype video that inevitably overpromises and underdelivers. This is red hot, pure, full octane, God guaranteed truth. And it's true for you if you belong to Jesus. God is alive in you. And he always will be. Henry Skugel was right. This is what true Christianity is really all about. The life of God in your soul. Now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you've thought of everything. We are so thankful that we can't screw this up. There's no condemnation for us. There's no separation for us. Instead, ours is the glorious promised future of living forever and ever and ever with you and each other. And so, Lord, would you give us joy and hope and life and endurance by your Spirit through your Word here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.